Welcome to Everyone's a Critic. I'm Joe Stevens. I'm Samuel Hunt. And I'm Kyle Ross. Joined by our esteemed guest this week, our first guest, friend of the show. Yeah. And it's yeah, it's good to have someone else here with us. Big fan of the show, aren't you, Kyle? Oh yeah. Um, since it's <laughs> inception <laughs> He's about, so about a week ago. So, <laughs> so enthusiastic. <laughs> Exactly. No, th- thanks, gents, for having me on. Uh, great to be here. Mm. And you're a film lover yourself. I am. Yeah. I, w- I wouldn't say I'm, I'm a film intellectual or anything like that. Just a well, that's. I mean, that's kind lover. of. You know, we try and stray away from those kind of terms here at Everyone's a Critic because we like that. Well, well everyone's a critic, aren't they? Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's the opportunity for us to just sit around, talk about movies. You know, as, as someone would at home, chat shit, have a few beers, yeah. some, you know, chili heat wave Doritos. Whew, that's a big relief. Yeah. Well, we, we know tangy cheese. Tangy cheese Doritos, yeah. exactly. Take your pick. Cool original can fuck off. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> um, okay, fine. So. So what have we what have we seen this week that we haven't been uh, that we're not going to be reviewing? I went to see The Witch last weekend. Um, there's been a lot, you know, in the press about it because it's it's such a small budget. It's one million dollar budget. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's impressive. Yeah, and cra- crazy and gross. I think twenty five million so far. So really good return on investment. Um, it's got Finchy from The Office in it. Actually. Yeah, yeah. He lives around here. Does he? Yeah. So every time it was weird, like watching it, because every time I was supposed to be scared, I was like, "Oh, that's Chris Finch from The Office," you know, Finch. <laughs> but um, but no, it was really good, and it was quite unsettling. It was the kind of film that that builds suspense, and it doesn't mm. go in for the just jump scares. You know, there wasn't many times when I went, "Oh, like like that," you know. But um, there was a general feeling of you know unease throughout the film, mm. and I went to see it with Vad, who's not a horror fan. And uh, he actually, he really liked it. So that's, you know, again, testament to how good it is, really. So, yeah, I would strongly recommend seeing that because it's not often you get films, um, you know, horror movies these days. Well, The Babadook was one, but that was two years ago. That mm. don't rely on jump scares. Sure. And it follows. Quite, quite a bang. It follows, yeah. Oh, yeah, I've heard that's fantastic. It's, it's great, guys. The that's o- really good. The, the yeah. opening scene is... What, what is, is the opening scene? Disturbing. Again? Um... Oh god, yeah, yeah. It's uh, the girl, and she's just running away from something. Mm, she's mm. just like circling her own house, and her dad is calling out to her, and you've no idea what's going on. And then she she's clearly petrified, and then she gets in the car, drives off, and then the, and then night, the next minute, yeah, the next minute something very bad. Something happens. very bad happens. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's disgusting. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, it's that's kind a quality of a, film. Yeah, it kind of feels like a renaissance of like these small indie horror films. Mm. I mean, it's quite, I think, quite a hard thing to nail because occasionally you get these small indie horror films that do really well, and then like Paranormal Activity, the first one, which I, I still think was is a really good film. Um, and then you try, they try and kind of create this faux indie kind of feel about it. And yeah, make yeah. like six different Paranormal Activities afterwards. Paranormal Activity. That's what calls it. <laughs> there was one, uh, yeah, like Paranormal Activity Four. He said, like, all the producers must have been slapping themselves on the back when they thought of this idea because they had like an Xbox Connect, you know, and they turned the lights off and like when, because it works on like infrared or something, and they yeah. could see like lines moving like through the darkness, and this was supposed to be really creepy. It's like, oh, the the millennials will love this. Yes, yeah, it's just a cheap gimmick. Oh, really. good god. <laughs> yeah. Moving, moving swiftly onwards. You, you saw Hail Caesar, didn't you? Yeah, well, Samuel reviewed this the, on the last episode, and you really loved it. Yeah, I really liked it. I thought it was one of the one of my top Coen Brothers films. Yeah, I, I appreciated it, but I couldn't really, I couldn't really kind of fall in love with it as you did. Mm. I thought it was well, that's kind of the point, a bit too disjointed. Right. And uh, you didn't... I think one of my issues was that I think I saw too much of it, and the the funniest gag in the whole film. They've done loads of in the publicity. What well, did it work so simple? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you could take the whole Scarlett Johansson bit out of the film, and it would make a difference. Yeah, I know, all. but I think it's like it's like I said in the review. It's it's sort of like a montage of these little yeah. set pieces, which yeah. which work really well, just just as a visual thing. Do you know what I mean? And also, the film is about a love of films, so it tries to pack as much of you know, what it's like to make a film as yeah. possible. Yeah. Also, I don't think I found it quite as funny as you did, either. I was... Well, what about the scene just before they're doing Wood Did It Work So Simple, when he, like, has to come in and look, like, really mysterious? Do you yeah, know what no, I, that, I thought that was... No, have you like, seen that? that <laughs> it's so funny. No, really. that, 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 that bit of the film, the... 
the Ray Fiennes director. Yeah, yeah. Him, and he's fantastic. The guy who plays Hobie is brilliant. Oh, he's so. He's good. the best thing about the film. He's the dancing cowboy. Yeah, yeah. he's the yeah. Okay. So so Ray Fiennes is trying to direct like this really serious drama, mm. and they like bring, parlor room. Yeah, yeah. They bring this cowboy on. He can't even open the door properly, yeah. and then he comes in and just and just has this yeah has this face on which. Well, we're on radio, obviously, so you know I can't do it. But it's, yeah, it's hilarious. Exactly. And there's also the bit. Um, oh, I love that was so funny. The trailer where um, the little kid he cycle he cycles up to uh, the main. Josh Brolin. Josh Josh Brolin, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. He goes, sir, I I I don't want to sound screwy, but someone's calling from the future. And, he's like, <laughs> yeah. and Josh Brolin's like, good lord, as <laughs> he starts like running down the road. <laughs> well, I thought George Clooney was hilarious as well when he yeah. he's trying to he's giving like he's he's at the final piece and they've been it's like a ten minute take so it all has to you know work right and he gets right up to the last bit and he's like, if we had but not seen but. Damn it! It's <laughs> <laughs> like the climax of the film. Yeah, yeah, and they're like, cut! He's like, Rrr. Yeah. yeah, good in bits. I don't think I enjoyed it quite as much as you did. No, okay. Okay, fair enough. Well, we can, you know, thanks for that opinion, Joe. Mm. Thank you, Joe. I'm not sure how much relevance it has, but yeah, no, thanks. <laughs> Ev- everyone's a critic, Sapphire. Every- 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 exactly. Everyone's a critic. Everyone's exactly. a critic. Um, so, coming up in the show, we've got. Uh, my new film, which is Ten Cloverfield Lane. Joe's doing High Rise. Yeah, saw that this morning. Yeah, good stuff. And um, we've got Hidden Gem, which I chose this week, uh, which is Roger Dodger. And then Kyle is bringing a film. We're calling this section Ask the Critics. It's basically a film that Kyle really likes, but has... What, yeah, well, you describe your feelings about it. Uh, I mean, my feelings have changed uh, a lot about this particular film, actually. from Overnight. Viewing. Um yeah, from beer, beer to beer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I uh, mix mix feelings about what it is. Yeah. Um, but in terms of your remote, your reaction to it, in terms of whether you like it or not, you really like it. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. Okay, good. So we'll try not to deflate you too much. Okay, great. <laughs> Just ruin it's the shit. Thank you. This is why you didn't enjoy it. Exactly. <laughs> this is why you're stupid. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. So yeah, so coming up next. Um, I'll be doing 10 Cloverfield Lane. Stay tuned. Cheers. And welcome back. I'm going to be talking about 10 Cloverfield Lane, which I saw Finchley Road View the other day, which on a big screen. Funnily enough, there wasn't actually that many people in the cinema, which is strange because it was only released on Friday, so you would have thought mm-hmm. Saturday evening, like, you know, so I was, I kind of sat down with a bit of foreboding thinking, shit, maybe words got round this isn't very good or something. Once you'd actually found the cinema. Once I'd actually found the cinema, <laughs> which I thought was in Finchley, but it's actually in Finchley Road. Yeah, I'm not going to make that mistake again. Um, so it's directed by Dan Trattenberg, who okay. I'd never heard of before. It's his debut feature film. All he's done before is like commercials and stuff, um, you know, so in interesting um, background so I didn't do and I didn't do any reading about the film before I went into it um, it's nice to go into films blank sometimes. yeah exactly yeah. that's what I, that's what I thought I mean I just I'd seen one trailer for it um, you know when I've been in the cinema to another film and the question that was on my mind was is it related to Cloverfield yeah yeah have you seen because I, I haven't seen Cloverfield I've seen I, Cloverfield is, is it good it's JJ Abrams isn't it I think so yeah yeah it's, it? um, it's okay some people mm. really love it yeah and I thought it was okay. It's like, so it was when the kind of found footage mm. um, yeah. type movies were really, really big. It's like Blair Witch Project meets Godzilla, is it? Yeah, that's a really that's good way of framing it. <laughs> um, but I can't really remember too much about it. It was okay. Some people love it, some people hate it. Mm. Kind of somewhere in the middle. Mm. Well, I mean, J.J. Abrams gets a producer credit on here. So mm. um, so anyway, and, and apparently actually they when they were making Ten Cloverfield Lane, they called it something else for ages because they didn't want uh, word to get out that they were like making a sequel to Cloverfield or something. So is that so, what it is? So they kept that under wraps. Well, no, it's, it just has a bit of the Cloverfield element in it. I mean, I don't even really know because I haven't seen Cloverfield, so yeah. I couldn't really compare them. Um, so that was the first question on my mind, you know, is it related to this, to this monster film and therefore mm. is it going to be about monsters? Mm. Um, and the film starts off with this girl, uh, she, she basically wakes up um, trapped in a room, um, you know, it's like, 
So um, we've got yeah, the contained kind of scene running through it. Um, so she wakes up in this room and she's like locked in here. And then it turns out that she's been imprisoned by John Goodman. Who... That sounds terrifying already. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Is this a horror film? Yeah, John Goodman yeah. from The Big Lebowski, and uh, he's also in, well, he's a Coen Brothers staple, but he's also in Barton Fink by the Coen Brothers. And he, in Barton Fink, he plays this character who, the whole way through the film, you're just trying to work out whether to trust him or not. Mm. And it's really interesting because he, say, he plays a very similar role here. Um, so she wakes up in this room with him, and there's another guy there, uh, played by John Gallagher Jr., who I hadn't heard of before. Um, uh, sorry, the main lead is uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I've heard the name, I'm not sure I can... She was a sister in Spectacular Now. She was Miles oh, Teller's sister in okay. Spectacular Now. She's been in other stuff, but never in a starring role. Yeah. Um, and it transpires that they're down there because something terrible has happened above. There's been some kind of bomb or, or something. And all they, all they know is that like John Goodman, when he was driving home, he saw a flash of light. And then he knew that something was about to happen, so he you know, through, I'm not going to bother explaining, but he kidnapped Mary Elizabeth Winstead and uh, John Gallagher and took them down into this basement. To, to Yeah, to bomb shelter to live out until, you know, the radioactivity above ceases to, to harm them and ceases to be okay. there. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's the premise. So now I've got, I've got a clip which kind of expands on that a little bit. This is dialogue between uh, John Gallagher Jr.'s character and Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character. Um, and this is quite early on, she's trying to figure out why he's there and why they're all there, really. So he didn't... kidnap you? No. What your arm? Were you trying to escape? I was trying to get in. I watched Howard build this place, piece by piece, for years. He was always talking about you know, possible attacks from Al-Qaeda, Russia, South Korea. You mean North Korea? The, is that the crazy one? So, yeah, that one. Um, and, uh, you know, poured all his money in this place, took to it like his life depended on it. Which, you know, that stays with you. Just want to quickly credit that clip to movie clips coming soon on YouTube. Thanks. That's our right spit out of the way. Yeah. Don't sue us, please. <laughs> Let's get on with the show. Um, yeah, so there you go. So you get an idea of, you know, the dynamic of the film. Um, and now, I found it really gripping and tense, the first two thirds of it where they're trapped in the bunker. And the great thing about it is, is um, there's so much speculation about what's happened above, because they mm. really, they have no idea what has happened. So, you know, it's like that, that enemy or, you know, that uh, something sinister that you can't put a face to. So you spend the whole film wondering, like, actually, you know, what has happened above and what does it look like out there? Mm. And then also, um, the character development, it turns into this thing where John Goodman, uh, there might be something in his past that is, you know, quite sinister and they're trying to work out if he's good or evil, just as you're trying to work out. And it plays that bit extremely well and it is quite, it's quite psychologically mm. disturbing and it's quite gripping. I mean, it's a 12. I couldn't believe it's a 12. That's extremely misleading. I would really? never, yeah, I'd never take a 12-year-old to see that. God. Ridiculous. Uh, okay, and quick question. Is it always known that something has actually happened above ground? No. Or are you going on John Goodman's Well, work? that's, again, that's that's one of the really interesting parts of okay. it. Is that, and that's one of the things you have to wonder about yeah. his character. Is he even telling the truth? Or, yeah. Because he seems so obsessive. It's almost like you start to think maybe he's taken them down there and maybe he wants to believe that something has happened because he's just yeah. so paranoid. It's his own mm. fantasy. Or yeah, exactly. So, you know, maybe he's you know, schizophrenic or something. So I found that bit quite tense. And also, if you heard from that clip, you know, the joke about North Korea, there, there are quite a lot of laughs in it. Mm. But there's this bit where um, John Gallagher's character, he's like, how long are we going to be down here? And John Goodman's like, oh, one or two years. And... Uh, John Gallagher's like, oh, well, you know, if we start a game Monopoly now, we might be finished. By the time we have to get up. You know? yeah. And that got a big laugh from the audience. You know? And I found, yeah, so I found, there were quite a lot of gags in there, actually, um, for something with you know, quite a dark premise. Um, and then the, the third part of the movie, I don't want to give too much away, but the third part kind of, it, it doesn't, it moves away from that claustrophobia of, of mm. being in the bunker and you you can see the relationship with Cloverfield there in the third part of the film. And I found that part slightly less gripping than, than the first two bits. Mm, but, sure. um, but I mean, I guess with that, there's only so much time you can spend building up the tension and building up, 
you know, the questions in your head before you, you're going to have to give some answers, aren't you, if you want the plot to develop. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It can't yeah. just go on and on and on being in the bunker and, you know, exactly. not knowing what happens. Yeah. So the reveal was, you know, as all reveals are, sometimes, you know, they can be quite anticlimactic. But I thought it really set itself up well um, for a sequel, which is 100% on the cards or if it was a prequel it might have been a prequel to Cloverfield in which case maybe I guess yeah mm. yeah. sounds interesting though I, I don't know anything about the film so I'm just going on yeah, yeah. what you've told me I haven't seen any trailers mm. okay. I've seen like posters around mm. the posters don't tell you anything. it's like the poster's like a house and then and like the a long shaft yeah. and the room at the bottom which I guess you know makes sense with yeah, the, yeah. the underground bunker so John Goodman's like a survivalist type dude completely yeah, um, paranoid about. He thinks it's the Russians, or he thinks it's like the Koreans. The South Koreans, yeah. or, or, <laughs> South or Martians. Koreans. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, so he's extremely paranoid. So he's built this bunker. What what accent does he have? Is he like he has? Is he, he has like southern? Like, like a mid? Yeah, like a southern accent. Yeah, yeah. Like, like mid those calming <laughs> bastards <laughs> coming over here. <laughs> those Martian bastards. <laughs> yeah. It's not the yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, no, John. I think John Goodman is uh, the best thing in it. Um, he's the most experienced actor. You know, he's he's a curious actor, actor, John Goodman. I think he's has like an odd charisma about him. Yeah, mm. but it, do you, do you know what I mean about that kind of? Are you going to trust this character? Or oh, not? completely. Do you yeah. Because I mean, Cause yeah. I, mean it talk, I mean, in the guest which we're reviewing later, you know, they make it very apparent that this guy is not to be trusted. Mm. You know, okay. just with the. Pipe down car. <laughs> yeah. uh, but with like, you know, the music they bring in when, you, you know, a villain comes on or whatever. Whereas in this, it is very reliant on the dialogue and, uh, you know, you get quite wrapped up in the dialogue and get quite confused in the plot. And so you really are asking questions the whole time. So I was, I was, yeah, really gripped by it. And I thought it was a really great piece of work. And considering I knew, you know, I'm really glad I knew nothing about it. Mm. So it's kind of against the theme of the podcast, but like, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't read too much critical or listen to too much critical Stop material. listening now, do Yes, yeah, st- stop listening now, yeah, I should have said that at the beginning. Um, yeah, and go and watch it, yeah, because, yeah, really enjoyable. Sounds quite different. Yeah, different from, yeah, what we've reviewed so far, so. Lovely, alright, cheers for that, Samuel, and no coming half up afterwards is High Rise. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Everyone's a Critic. So uh, this morning, we're around you know ten past twelve. So just afternoon, hmm. I saw High Rise at the Crouch End Art House, as opposed to Picture House. That's the smaller one. Yes, yeah, so, yeah, much smaller one. Is that to um, the left of the Picture House? Yes. Yeah, so if you keep on going down um, Middle Lane, it yeah, is. yeah, keep on going down Middle Lane. Um, small screens. Small screens. Yeah, it's like so. The screen I was in is if you imagine like a huge kind of footballers type house would have like a cinema room in it yeah that's what it's like but it's nice you know it's yeah. um, sounds lovely <laughs> it is yeah they've got like a little like cafe bar outside yeah they're um, very middle class yeah it's, cra- yeah, it's crowd yeah. there's a big mark for that kind of thing. should we go down the art house yeah, should, uh, get a cup of cappuccino beforehand yeah yeah so you, you, do you ever see those people like um, who go to cinema cafes? Just they're not even going to see a film. Yeah, literally. That is the just, height uh, of like I'm middle real. class. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, just to get going to a cinema cafe <laughs> and you're not even watching a movie. I mean, come on. Yeah. There's a small chain where I used to work in Baker Street, and it was like lovely and. Uh, what a cinema? Yeah, a small cinemas. I can't remember its name, mm. but um, yeah, you would just see people in there who like. On their laptops and stuff. Yeah, it's like, yeah. It's like this is a dungeon. It's yeah, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why are you in here? Yeah, people just like the idea of it, don't they? Exactly. Yeah. It's the word art house. You know, they think, oh, it's arty. You know, yeah. just yeah. buzzwords. Vintage. Art. Yeah. <laughs> Independent <laughs> cinema. <laughs> Every man. Shit. There we go. So you saw it on a small screen. Yeah. Shots <laughs> fired. Sorry, everyone. Yeah. Shit, that's our sponsorship deal, Don. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been working on this for weeks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cut. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so I saw it this morning, um, and so it's directed by Ben Wheatley, who I hadn't seen any of his films before, but he's quite, I think, um, respected in, in critical circles, obviously not this circle. Mm. Um, he did Kill List, um, before, oh, yeah, and, yeah. uh, Sightseeing, which is apparently very good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's an adaption of 
uh, J.G. Ballard's 1975 novel, which is apparently unfilmable. You know, people tried to bring it to screen loads of times, and it's just it's quite hard to get the gist of it. Mm. But you know, that's what people also said about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, mm. um, and that's regarded as one of the you know best films of all time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just because people say a film, yeah, some filmable doesn't really mean a lot. no. You, if you read the novel Room, I'm sure you would say that's going to be very difficult to capture that. You know, exactly. I think the key to to something that's unfilmable is just to turn it into a movie and not to try and stay too close to the book. And the so, stuff that a film can bring to the screen that a, that a novel can't. Exactly. You know, to bring to the story that a novel can't. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So it's just identifying those dimensions and saying, okay, well, you know, in the novel they had this and we can't have that in the film, but we can have this other stuff. Do yeah, one the Cuckoo's Nest, the novel and the film, are both very good, but both quite different. Exactly. Um, so, so there's a adaption of J.G. Ballard's 1975 novel starring Tom Hiddleston, Sienna Miller... Luke Evans, um, and in supporting roles, James Purefoy, and I didn't realize, but Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons, well. yeah. I'm always, mm. I could always watch Jeremy Irons. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's yeah. great. Listen to in him. Uh, Margin Call. Margin Call, he's fantastic. Have you seen Margin Call, Carl? I haven't, no. You have to see that. Yeah. It's a banking crisis film. Okay. And yeah, Jeremy Irons plays, um, yeah, plays like the boss of uh, what is Merrill Lynch, really, on the verge yeah. of disaster. Oh, I see. It's really good. Yeah. In like a small cameo, he comes in. Yeah, but basically. You know, just like The Lion King as well. He's fantastic. He just has the best <laughs> he just voice. Pops it's in. very deep. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. kind of like it's rich. Yeah, yeah. Um, in lots of ways. Mm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's a, it's a film about a kind of a 70s high rise um, and development where, you know, you get away from kind of the urban sprawl. Um, place that has like schools and a supermarket and a gym and a swimming pool where you know why would you ever want to want to have to leave mm. um and you know the higher up you go in the high rise kind of the nicer the apartments are and kind of the wealthier people are and the protagonist is a guy called uh, dr lang and they just refer to him as lang mm. i think his first name is mentioned once maybe right um played by tom hiddleston who moves in and it's basically about how it all people eventually all go crazy, and that's not a spoiler alert. That it kind of starts off a film that starts off with the end and then kind of yeah. works way back. Mm. Um, so it's it's an interesting film. You know, I'll I'll play a clip mm. um, and then I'll kind of talk about more about my feelings about it. So this is a clip where uh, Tom Hiddleston is called up to go meet the architect, um, who's played by Jeremy Irons. So let's roll it. Ah. Dr. Lang, I hear you play squash. Yes, I do. You built all this. Dreamt, conceived. I hardly roll my sleeves on. Of course. Project's far from finished. Over five times in all, circling the lake. Something like an open hand. The lake is the palm, and we stand on the distal phalanx of the index finger. There. I put all my energies into this time. I'm its midwife, so to speak. Mm. It looks like the unconscious diagram of some kind of psychic event. Well, that's good. I'll use that. By all means. Of course, I'm a modernist by trade, but you, a doctor, would understand one prescribes as required. That folly out there is for my wife. Her chief distraction is the careful cultivation of an intense old nostalgia. For what? Why, Dells? My car was crushed by a reversing cement truck. I'm afraid I'm not a physiotherapist. I know what you are, Dr. Lamb. Constant exercise is the only thing that keeps the pain at bay. So you could say, not only am I the building's first road casualty, but I am the architect of my own accident. What do you think of that? Is that a horse? Probably. My wife rides on the 40th floor. OK. So, yeah, that, that was the clip. Um... Quite wordy. It you is quite worse. I mean, that, that from the councillor. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's some excerpts you... <laughs> lying around. Yeah, fuck it, we can use this. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was probably one of the wordier bits. But you kind of, I think you probably get a, a feel for the film just from that clip. Mm. Um, so it's it's a curious film. I I think I'd probably prefer 
the kind of first third or first half, really, but kind of the the calm before the storm. Yeah. Um, a bit like what I was saying about Ten Cloverfield Lane. Yeah, yeah. Um, where it's kind of the examination of kind of, and and basically the film is examination of kind of social hierarchy, and what do you do when you put all these people on very different incomes together and make it all very apparent how they all live mm. um, and make them kind of share the pool. And what, you know, when it's apparent to you that these people have more power, yeah. um, but you're all living in this one big block and it's very, it's a kind of closed space. And I don't know much about J.G. Bell, but I read a bit about him and a lot of his um, books, especially around that period, are about kind of space and how people react to it and it's kind of affecting yeah. your psyche. Um, well, I so, guess the tower is a sort of metaphor for the social hierarchy itself, isn't it? I mean, yeah. it's a physical manifestation yeah. of the ideas that they're talking about. Yeah, and, you know, people, lots of people kind of say it's like a Thatcherite comment. It's actually written four years before she became Prime Minister. Yeah. Um, but it definitely has that, and there's kind of a, a very kind of direct Thatcher reference at the end. Um, I thought... You know, on the, the good points, it's, uh, it's a very good performance by Tom Hiddleston in the way that he kind of holds it all together. Mm. And they're kind of very big, broad performances all around him. Yeah. And he's the kind of thing, he's the kind of guy you kind of relate to and is kind of this bastion of calm and all really quite detachment mm. um, throughout all of it. So I'm impressed by so Tom is Hiddleston. He, so he's the sort of observer, isn't he? Yeah. He's, are you seeing it through his eyes in a yes. way? Yes, yeah. And yeah, he arrives in there new and you learn that his... Um, his sister's died recently, so it's kind of he's starting completely afresh. Mm. Um, so I think he's good. the The score is very good. Clint Mansell. Right. Um, I think you can always rely on for a good score. Okay. Um, I don't. I don't know his work. Yeah, he works on uh, quite a few Darren Aronofsky films. Okay. okay. Well, like Black Swan. I think he did Black Swan. He did The Fountain. He did. Um, uh, what's the work going for a dream? I believe. Oh yeah, I don't like that film. Darnanovsky's very <laughs> divisive. I think this film will probably be quite divisive as well. Yeah, I, I get that feeling. Yeah. So the the thing that I, I like, I can appreciate it, but it's quite a hard film to like. Mm. Um, that it's kind of really quite brutal in places, and apart from Tom Hiddleston, kind of you don't really like many of the characters. No, they look odious in the trailer. Yeah, very, really? very odious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, but almost to the point, I think with some character, I don't know if it, the way it's written or the way it's performed, but with Luke Evans and James Purefoy especially, they are kind of really quite archetypal. Um, Luke Evans is a guy who kind of lives kind of maybe 10th, 15th floor, um, and is kind of angry about... The fact that people kind of up above kind of run the place and they all pay the same um, mm. fees to the building, but they kind of get much worse service. There always these power cards. He feels very strongly about it, but he's also kind of a knob. Mm. Um, <laughs> just a genuine. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you, you don't really like him. You he's don't really bit of a dick. <laughs> yeah, you can't really get behind his movement because he's just a dick about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or James Purefoy is this kind of one of the very upper class people, and they have these ridiculous parties. And yeah. throughout the whole film, there are these ridiculous debauched parties, mm. and you're kind of wondering these are. Sienna Miller's. She doesn't she play a sort of uh, sex maniac or something. Who, like, uh, tries, certainly, she yeah. lives upstairs from Tom Hilliston yeah, and there's that scene where she's like looking down onto the balcony and he's laid out like in boxes and she's so, like yeah, you're so an excellent sunbathing. specimen <laughs> yeah really yeah, yeah it's literally he's, he's sunbathing <laughs> like with like, like a newspaper basically over his crotch yeah. uh, and he's fallen asleep <laughs> and she like I think she knocks over like a glass of wine or something. and the other thing to note and that's probably um Everyone's people are constantly chain smoking throughout the entire thing, which is probably the seventies period piece. Period yeah. piece, yeah. and they're constantly drinking as well. Hmm. So I think as like a debauchery, sounds yeah. ideal. Vibe to yeah, yeah, sounds like an ideal lifestyle. That sounds lovely. Yeah, let's let's go and live in a high rise. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what about like Sienna Miller? Because she. I mean, she towards the beginning of her career, she wasn't that critically acclaimed as an actress. But then she did. I mean, she was really good in American Sniper. I really mm. liked her in that. Yeah, and, and she's. Just, I haven't seen much of her things, but she's. Um, apparently got a bit of a kind of reconnaissance. That's what I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so does this continue, would you say it's a good performance? Oh yeah, I think she's good, yeah. I think she's actually quite, you know, you said sex pot, sex maniac, but I think she's actually quite nuanced. Right, okay. Like Tom Hiddleston and Jeremy Irons. The rest of the cast are just kind of quite archetypal. Furniture. Yeah, Elizabeth Moss actually as well. Right. Um, who's Luke Evans' wife, um, who again is like, 
heavily pregnant basically the entire film and it begins and she's like oh it's late and then she's like pregnant still somehow right about two months later um <laughs> so it's an interesting film it's quite a hard watch mm. um, I, I don't like the sound of it at all yeah it's i can appreciate it i think i have to have a man crush on tom hiddleston now <laughs> Um, that's understandable I think yeah, I can yeah. get on board with that yeah. an excellent specimen you could say <laughs> that's a whole other part of the show whole other part of the show <laughs> yes uh, so yeah uh, an interesting one I, I'm not sure I could recommend unless you know be prepared if you're going to go see it mm. I don't think I've ever gone to the cinema alone apart from this so it was quite like a tough watch to go see you went, on your, you went by yourself yeah mm. baptism of fire yeah, yeah. yeah. So, okay cool so yeah that's high rise it wasn't, like, yeah, it was You heard the consensus here, yeah. quote us on it. <laughs> I still don't know, really know what to think of it. Yeah, yeah, okay, fair enough. Well, uh, you know, any film that leaves you feeling like that, you know, has to have something to it, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly, yeah. yeah. So yeah. there we go. That's, okay. what you want. That's what you want from the film. There we go. Thanks, Carl. You wanted to, to <laughs> you wanted to uh, challenge you, I guess. Yeah, and to, you know, it definitely advice. challenges you. <laughs> there we go. A challenge. If you want a challenge, go down and see High Rise. Okay, coming up, we've got our hidden gem, Roger Dodger. Stay tuned. Thanks for that, Joe. High rise. Okay, so now we're moving on to the hidden gem section. We've had two so far, which have been the Iron Giant and the Spectacular. Now, moving fairly far away from that in terms of uh, yeah, in terms of material, I would say. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I couldn't think of a film much more polar opposite to those. Um, we're going to be doing Roger Dodger, which is a 2002 film directed by Dylan Kidd, who um, doesn't even have a Wikipedia page actually. And I have never heard of him directing any other movies. Yeah, uh, he hasn't really done anything yeah. since. No, not no. Not that well, that's a we'll sign come, of anything. No, we'll come <laughs> on to that later. Yeah, actually. we'll come on to that later, actually. We've got another film to talk about. Um, so anyway, directed by Dylan Kidd, uh, starring Campbell Scott, who has really only had supporting roles. I mean, he had a supporting role in like The Amazing Spider-Man and stuff like that. But here he's in um, a lead role. And, and Dylan Kidd, director, puts... Campbell Scott, he puts him in every scene in the film, and he plays this character called Roger, um, and he, his nephew is Jesse Eisenberg, very early Jesse Eisenberg role, mm. um, I mean, I, I think it was the first, it's the earliest film I've seen Jesse Eisenberg in, certainly, um, playing this teenager who 16 is, year old. 16 year old, yeah, who is a bit of a geek at school, and, um, but you know, he's 16 and he's beginning to want things from from women and yeah kind of a Woody Allen-esque um, yeah. anxiety about him uh, yeah I would say that yeah he's quite sort of stuttering quite a lot yeah um, and he he comes to New York to stay with Roger his uncle um, and enlists his and help also completely by surprise as well he just shows up at Roger's work he shows place. yeah and Roger is in the middle of he's just been sort of uh, dumped by his lover who is also his boss and about 20 years older. And about 10 or 20 years older, but he's he's pretty upset about that. Mm. Um, you can tell, but it's kind of brewing under the surface. Um, you know, the whole point is that Roger is quite emotionally, he appears quite emotionally detached. Yeah. Um, so the film follows them basically on a night out in New York um, of Roger teaching Jesse Eisenberg how to pick up women. Um, so let's have a clip and then we'll talk about it. Okay. And Carl's seen this as well. Thank God. So, <laughs> getting to the contribution. <laughs> okay, good. Jesus, what is this? Rum and Coke. I told him to mix it weak. We got a long way to go here. Okay, I don't drink. What, are you kidding me? Take a drink. I don't put alcohol into my body, okay? You drink that drink. Loss of inhibition is crucial to your success tonight, okay? Alcohol has been a social lubricant for thousands of years. What do you think, you're gonna sit here tonight and reinvent the wheel? Please. All right. Now, you did one very good thing. You lied. You made something up. Keep that part of your brain working, all right? We get those girls over here, your first instinct is gonna be to open up, okay? Yeah. To tell the truth. Fight it. Just keep it interesting. Play up your novelty. Right. You're a 16-year-old in a bar. Yeah. Why? Oh, my father owns the bar. Uh, you got a month to live. Uh, you're an actor researching, I don't, I don't know, improvise. Next. 
Check the time. What time is it? Um, it's uh, uh seven oh two. A medic alert bracelet. What? Um, no, it's instructions. I'm having my body cryogenically frozen if I die prematurely. So. You know. Just... All right, leave it. It's just spastic enough to be charming. So that was the dialogue between uh, Campbell Scott and Jesse Eisenberg. So I think you get a feel for funny. The, the dialogue is just absolutely fantastic. I think it's a great example of a film where the script would almost, you could almost read the script as just a piece of literature. And for me, I, I just laugh out loud throughout the film. Do you know what I mean? I got that. I, I found that too. It's, yeah. Um, obviously very rude, but I... I'm so on board with that kind of banter. I that, guess. Like, yeah, that, like, <laughs> you're like agreeing with everything he's saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it grew on me actually. The script. Why? And the first, the opening scene where mm. Roger has this big monologue and everyone's listening in awe of him. I'm like, oh, this is just some wanker trying to sound like Tarantino. Right. Okay. Um, you thought it was so, quite self-congratulatory. Yeah, and just like quite, you know, self-congratulatory is the word. Quite um, indulgent. Mm. Um, but it grew on me, actually, and mm. as a script and as a film, um, mm. you kind of have to stick with it, I find, to, to get the reward. I mean, I just, I thought it was, so I, I found it really funny, but also I thought that, you know, a lot of people would look at that film and they'd say, okay, you know, it's a film, Jesse Eisenberg comes to Roger seeking advice, it's a film about, um, you know, how a kid is approaching adolescence and mm. how he's approaching... Um, you know, dealing with women, but the film is not really about Jesse Eisenberg's character. The film is completely about Roger, mm. and there's numerous nods to this. Um, so, in a couple of scenes, Jesse Eisenberg starts talking about family history, and he says, "You know, Roger was, uh, you know, Roger was born like five years uh, after his his own mother was born." You know, and the joke that he might have been a mistake, and he brushes yeah. this off very quickly. He also brushes off. Um, the fact that he hasn't seen his father um, for a long time, you know, he hasn't seen his dad for like f four years. So since you really, his mother's funeral. Since his mother's funeral. So you really get the feeling that he is carrying something inside him, you know, emotionally and yeah. probably a feeling of... Um, Quite bitterness. A bitterness towards his parents yeah. and probably hence the misogyny which you see, you know, on screen and that you can yeah. hear within his lines because he is, he is a misogynist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it's a great example of a film. It's a great example of a film where you don't need. It shows that you don't need to like the characters to like the film because Roger is not a likable character at all. At all. I mean, he is. Yeah. Towards the end, didn't doesn't he? Uh, he shows signs of. Of. Towards towards Jesse, I. Yeah, yeah. So, well, well, after he's taken him to. It's back at the school. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the end scene. Yeah. Well, yeah. The the climax of the film, mm. um, where that they go to before. their yeah. last. The place. last chance saloon. Yeah, yeah. the last chance yeah. saloon. Um, that's it's... redemption. But the, I felt so uncomfortable. It was deplorable. I oh, was the, like, the no, best scene no, is no, that. Stop it! Stop it! Stop yeah. it! Stop it! Stop it! The best scene is that uh, the best bit in that scene is where he's where Jesse Eisenberg's gone off with a girl and he Roger's standing in um in the in the dark sort of you know dungeon thing, well, and the lights are showing that. and they have this clip yeah. of his face and he doesn't know what and he looks like a rabbit in the headlights and it's the first time you see him looking vulnerable yeah and mm. conflicted because he's so sure of himself the entire time he just yeah. swans through and yeah. he's He's very smooth and he can natter away. People mm. listen for 10 minutes or so and no one else has to speak. Mm. But it's just one, it's the first moment he's unsure of himself yeah. and of his great big plan and what yeah. he's actually done to a 16 year old nephew who's come to seek him advice from him. But it shows the, um, it shows the uncom, it shows the lack of, um, the lack of self-assurance that's, that's hiding under the surface of yeah. all his, of all his dialogue and all his, um, you know, all his soliloquies and stuff, you know, it shows that actually that, you know, that's what's leaking under the surface and that's what shows on his face in the last scene, in, mm. well, almost the last scene, which is why it's so powerful. So I just thought it was really interesting in terms of, well, talking about like, you know, gender roles and stuff, but also the anti-hero is just, he, I, he captivated me completely throughout the film. Yeah. And, uh, and I love Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, um, I just, you could just look into him and, and kind of see all the, the nervousness and the anxiety of being 16. He really sums that up so well. I mean, he plays, he's like the male equivalent of Christian Stewart. That's what I think of. Kind of, yeah. He, but Jesse Eisenberg has one of these faces where he's like, 
he doesn't really age, so you could play like a sixteen-year-old now, and he wouldn't really bat an eyelid. Like, I don't actually know. He could be thirty-two then could, and forty-two yeah, now. Yeah, he could be Lex Luthor for all I know. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was good in um, a Social Network. Yeah, but that's like that's about eight years later, mm. and he's playing like a nineteen-year-old. Yeah. Like, he yeah, yeah. Really age. Exactly. One and of my favorite films, Social Network. Just on that note. Yeah. I. It's, it's the most rewatchable film. Do you think so? I've seen it twice, I think. I've seen, I, th- I think I've seen Another it five times. Another good soundtrack. Yeah. I thought. It's, um, yeah, you, you, anything wins me on board with a good soundtrack. Yeah, David, David Fincher's one of my favourite directors. Mm. Really? Yeah. Mm, I, uh, mm. I like his films, but they don't give me, they don't really give me anything. I, I enjoy them as cinematic experiences. Mm. Panic Room, you know, enjoyed watching it, got nothing from it. Social Network, a bit. I, I thought the Fight end Club? of Social Fight Network... Club. Fight Club, yeah, I'm not in love with Fight Club as much as some people are. Mm, interesting. Yeah. interesting but I mean, I thought the end of Social Network, I, I thought they tried to like sew it up quite nicely with that whole part about, you know, where Je- Jesse Isaac, that girl was like... Uh, the very last frame. Yeah, the very last frame where she's like, you're not an asshole, but you're just trying really hard to be. Yeah. It's yeah. like, well, is that really what the film's been talking about? You know, He's an asshole. <laughs> yeah, he is an asshole, yeah. And it's like, yeah, I don't, yeah. I just wasn't convinced by that kind of like conclusion. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so Jess Eisberg and Campbell Scott in a scorching, blistering performance. Yeah, and but like, so I, I looked up more about this film because I'd never heard of it before mm. you mentioned it to me. Mm. Um, and actually it won a few awards. Yeah. In kind of like, uh, kind really? of... Yeah, in kind of awards, like kind of... Um, critics circles. Your critic circles and um, kind of film festival type things. Because mm. it's Dylan Kidd's uh, first film and yeah. only film, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, Campbell Scott got uh, quite a few awards nominations. And, and Jesse Eisenberg got, like, you know, newcomer Best newcomer yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's good. It's interesting. It's like, I didn't... I don't think I loved it. I, lo- I, I, lo- I, I love it. quite as much as you did. It's I in what, your top... Ten. Top ten films of all time. Yeah. You absolutely love it, don't you? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I, I absolutely love it. I'm serious. I think this is an incredible film. I think Campbell Scott, um, he really gives the performance of a lifetime, and he's just so... He captures... He has such a screen presence in this film, and when you couple that with a script as intelligent as it is, written written by Dylan Kidd, you know, it's just such a pet project for him, and he obviously loved this film. You know, he loves... The characters all love or hate mm. you know the characters there's definitely you know um some compassion towards roger i think towards the end um so yeah i just yeah i i am I, um, I do love it i have to say and what so just quickly uh, uh dylan kidd is directing another film well has directed about five years ago <laughs> directed in oh, 2012 yeah. a film called get a job which is actually coming out well, according to Wikipedia, it's coming out in a week. In the UK? Week. It's coming out in five days. It's coming out on March the 25th. I think yeah. we're going to have to go mm. see it. Somewhere. We're going to have to go and watch it, but I don't know if it's mm. even coming out in the cinema. I think it might just be on, what well, says VHS. Oh, uh, <laughs> I would be very, is that like people only releasing stuff on vinyl these days? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. That's quite up yourself. That's a real <laughs> art house thing to do. <laughs> It's coming out on video. Yeah, it's, yeah. Like, it's like, it's a bold strategy card. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Not sure it's going to work, but... <laughs> um, yeah, so that's starring Miles Teller and... Um, Anna, Anna, Kendrick. Anna Kendrick, yeah. Who, I, I love both those actors, yeah. Yeah, well, I... So I looked up this film today because I was looking up Dylan Kidd, mm. and I watched the trailer for it, and there's a bit where Anna Kendrick is like, yeah, I'm 22, and I'm like, oh, no, she's definitely not 22 now. Maybe, you know, she's like Jesse Eisenberg. She doesn't... Yeah, you know, it doesn't really age much. She can look kind of early twenties. Yeah, but you know that makes more sense now. It was actually filmed in two thousand twelve. Yeah, um, I'm re- no, I'm really looking forward to watching that. Is anyone else in it? Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston's in it. Come on! What? No, 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 sorry, no, no, no. I, I, I was looking on the left-hand side. Brian bloody Cranston. Okay, so yeah, so well, Brian, that, that'll be really interesting because that's before the hype around Breaking Bad and stuff. So it'd be interesting to see his performance. Yeah, that's like, true. Fully haired. Yeah, that's true. Just straight out of Malcolm in the Middle. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> okay, guys. So yeah, we'll look out for that one. Dylan Kidd's second film. Yeah, after yeah after Roger Dodger. Literally ten years Dodger. after Roger Dodger. Well, yeah, film ten years like coming out fourteen years after. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How bizarre. Okay, fine. So that was uh, the hidden gem. 
And we've certified it as a hidden gem. Yeah. Haven't we? Hunty approved hidden gem. <laughs> yeah. There we go. <laughs> a reluctant <laughs> yes from Joe. He doesn't want to put it up there beside uh, Iron Giant. I wouldn't Giant. put it in my top ten films of all time. No. But, if but then I wouldn't put Iron Giant in top, my top ten films Exactly, of all time. Yeah. yeah. But like, if you if you want a different film... <laughs> <laughs> if you want a different film that, you know, you haven't seen before and... Um, I've never seen a film like that before. No, I... I not that have I, really. And I, I like concept films in that way that have like a short, distinct plot... But don't try and do too much. Short time space. Short time space. One night. Didn't feel too long. No. I like those films. Yeah, exactly. I like those films a lot. Tight, sophisticated, funny, sharp, witty, blistering performance, etc. You get the picture. Fantastic. Top 10 films. Carl. Roger yeah. Dodger. Roger Dodger. There Thank you very go. much. All right. Uh, coming up, we have got our final segment where Kyle will be bringing a film to the critics. And just, just, I'm really nervous. He's really, he's really nervous, <laughs> but he's, yeah, he doesn't want to get slated. He doesn't want to get put down I'm, too much. So I'm we're going excited. I'm going to go easy on him. Great. Coming up. Bye bye. Welcome back. Thank you for that, Samuel. Pleasure. Uh, for your little hidden gem, Roger Dodger. Yeah. Um, uh, my name's Kyle, a uh, guest of the show. Friend of, friend of the show. Friend of the friend show. Of the show. Not just a guest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just one of many groupies. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, the bang at the door. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank God we're soundproofed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't know that one. <laughs> and um, so I'll be bringing you um, my film of the week, I guess. Uh, it's something that I, I really enjoyed. Um, I've had mixed feelings about, but I'm actually it's it's there's more clarity to my to my view now okay. um, Good, after okay. after a few few viewings because uh, I I kind of know what it's about, mm. um, and the film is The Guest, uh, 2014. Yeah. Um, so uh, Dan Stevens. Dan Stevens, uh, you'll know from Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey. He looked quite different. I haven't seen much of Downton Abbey. What I've seen of him in that, he looks quite different. He looks, he looks quite good-looking. This. Yeah. Oh yeah. God. Yeah. He's Jesus Christ. What the hell is going on here? <laughs> oh yeah, but, God. Who were you talking about earlier? Tom Hiddleston. Oh yeah. Oh God. No, but I. I also because I, I haven't seen the Distance film. Distance myself. It's all coming out. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to establish that I haven't seen the film. Uh, I let the whole side down. I've been very busy this week. Yeah. Yes. Thanks, mate. I, yeah, um, cheers. Yeah. First guest. First guest. You let him down. Cheers. Yeah. yeah when we get Leonardo DiCaprio on the show, will you watch his film before he comes on? <laughs> well, we'll Look, see. I'm not gonna lie, Leo. I haven't seen it. <laughs> Well, Samuel, no guest is bigger than the show. <laughs> that's true, that. actually, that's true. <laughs> and that was a shout-out to Leo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're listening. If you're listening, <laughs> listening I'm not going to see a film with yeah. you. Yeah, I will watch it if you can't. <laughs> Still hate the reference. Exactly. <laughs> and, yeah, it's um, it's directed by Adam Wingard and uh, one other a- a- actress in it, uh, Anna, uh, Micah Monroe. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, she was in It Follows. Absolutely love. Oh, okay. Oh, is she the girl from It Follows? How do you not recognise her? I did recognise her, but I thought she was she from something else. is the most... This is the dis- second time this has happened to dis- I know, this is the second time it's happened yeah. to me. I think she's the most distinctive looking person. I didn't know that. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I, I, she's quite attractive. Yeah, great, great. But more on that later. Here, here we'll, we'll get a clip. about Dan Stevens. <laughs> we'll talk about Dan Stevens. <laughs> we'll get a clip up for you now, I think. Okay, fantastic. Um, great. There are clean towels in the bathroom. If you'd like to freshen up. Miss Peterson, are you sure you're comfortable with me staying in here? Of course. I mean, it, it's not like it's going to any use. I think it could be a good thing for us. Uh, I'm going to go and let you get settled in. If you need anything, just holler.
And there's your clip. Um, Carl forgot to explain what the film's actually well, about. Yeah. So I mean, coming slightly out of sequence. I know, I wasn't prompted very well, thanks guys. <laughs> but, um... It's his first time, okay? <laughs> yeah, take it easy. It's like line, um... No, yeah. but basically the film's about uh, a mysterious person uh, who arrives at the house of um, this family and uh, he says he's a, he's a former Marine. Mm -hmm. and um, They've he, lost a son. Yes, and they were best, and they were best buds. Uh, when they were serving, and so this is this is huge for the parents because they're still dealing with the bereavement of the of losing their child, and then this 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 guy comes in, and they put him into Caleb's room. That scene you just heard was from Caleb's room, and so you you can kind of see what. So Caleb was the son they lost, yeah. exactly, and he's now coming saying that he was a friend of, of their son who was killed, you know, in battle. Mm. Well, in battle. <laughs> in the battle. <laughs> yeah. In the court. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in, in, the, in, you know, in the Iraq war or something. And he's coming to help them out. And that Caleb said to him, um, you know, I want you to look after my family. You know, I want you to go and look after my family, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. So that's and, the um, he's coming up. Exactly. And so the film then, then flies into a series of events. Where, 100 miles an hour. Yeah, yeah where, where David, uh, Dan Stevens, is um, basically getting more and more involved within the family. And kind of helping out the family in non-conventional ways. It appears very yeah. early on that Mr. Stevens might not be all that he seems. And at the end of that clip, they had some sort of intense music and a shot of Dan Stevens staring. Just smouldering. Smouldering, yeah. staring <laughs> out the window in a very intense kind of... Exactly. And the, the music mm, in this film... Porn shop <laughs> acting kind of way. <laughs> exactly. Like, uh, like American Psycho with... Uh, no, not Christopher quite. Christopher yeah, <laughs> Not quite, not that, quite that level. No, not that level. And... Um, but yeah, the, the music in this was was huge for me. Mm. Uh, this film and it's it's it like I'm a sucker for for good music, um, but it's also it, it it's so ominous. It's hilariously ominous. Yeah, I um, laughed a lot. Do you think it's knowing? Yeah, I. Th this is so. Mm -hmm. If I just talk a little bit about, I mean, how I felt about it, I. It was quite funny because Dan Stevens. He almost plays this like pantomime villain. I mean, yeah. every time he yeah. walks into a room, he's always he's always calling people mom and sir. sir. And you should never trust anyone who calls you know <laughs> yeah. a sixteen-year-old girl mom. And she, she's, ma yeah, ma'am. Yeah, and ma she's like, "Are you kidding me?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, that's the point where you're like, "Yeah, there's something wrong with this guy." And this yeah. is like five minutes in, so you know, in Ten Cloverfield, where you're wondering, "Is John Goodman good or bad?" Mm. There's none of that here. Yeah, it's like Dan Stevens. There's something weird about him because they have, you know, it's the soundtrack. It just tells you that, and they yeah. keep doing close-ups of his face, <laughs> and just I just couldn't help laughing. Rude. It wasn't scary at all. It just looked ridiculous. And it's got that that sound where it's like. Yeah, <laughs> like it, when they cut into different scenes, and it's it's hilarious because yeah, it's yeah. just um, it's like wow, we're in for a fun family viewing. Yeah, yeah. It's like no. I mean, I thought um, I thought his performance was uh, yeah was in the context of the film. It was it was perfectly perfectly decent. But I think the film knows that it's pretty it's quite trashy you know mm, it, totally. it's, it, it's complete it is nonsense i mean and the plot is the plot is it doesn't do anything original um uh, this is not really a criticism it's just a mm. sort of description but the, the funniest bits was um so he's like you know here to help out the family in inverted commas and uh one of the time the the, the son there's a son he comes home from school and uh, he's got some bruises on his face, and they're all mm. sitting at dinner. This is another son. Yeah, this is another son, a younger son. Yeah. So he's about 14. And Dan Stevens is like, where did you get those bruises, kid? And he's like, oh, just a football. Oh, football uh, like practice. A, and he got beaten up at school. And I was like, okay, what time is it? Yeah, 4.34. I wonder how long it's going to be before Dan Stevens goes to the school and, and, beats, shit and beats the shit out of those bullies. And it was uh, 14 and a half minutes later. <laughs> so it is entirely predictable. In mm. terms of every, you see almost everything coming, but it's it's hilarious though because it it loves it loves what it's doing and it's yeah um, like like the scene where he does beat up those bullies. I'm yeah, not giving anything just away. Ridiculous. It's I can't tell if Dan Stevens' performance is one of the like, I think really it's, good or really bad. No, it's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> it's not amazing. It is amazing. <laughs> but like totally, it's so it's just so pantomime. 
Yeah, but that's that's brilliant. It's, it, they're, it's literally like they're holding up cards, like do mysterious face. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and then um, and then but sort of so it, it it starts as this sort of psychological thriller, and you you know you're trying to work out what's happening, even though you know the premise is he's a bad guy, you know, although he's doing good things. And then it kind of goes turns into this sort of has a political element to it. Then towards the end, sort of. Well, no, but do, do you know what I mean? Like, it turns out, like, he has something to do with the military and, like, a, a, oh, almost sure. a Jason Bourne kind of yeah, he was like, plot, which I wasn't going for at all. Exactly. We're not going to give it away, but... Uh, no, he's... He's he, he, <laughs> he is a weapon. Yeah. This guy. <laughs> That's basically it. And, uh, um, and yeah, the, the third act is just nuts. Like, the third act, yeah. So, like... Like we we've I've said it's pretty crazy beforehand, but the third act it just goes like all, all guns blazing, literally all guns blazing. Yeah, yeah. but I I I may I'm not gonna lie, I did I did really enjoy it. Well, I want to see this film now. It's it's great. It's almost I, like I should have seen it before so I could discuss it. With you. <laughs> You'll forget about it a minute after watching it, in my opinion. I don't think so. No, it's completely forgettable. There's yeah. nothing to think about after it. There's nothing. <laughs> it does nothing original. It doesn't. Uh, you know, it doesn't bring anything new to the like table. It sounds like fun, though. But mm. it's it's fodder. You know, it's popcorn. That's what it is. Know, exactly. Popcorn fodder. But it, and, um, it, it's at the top of the range of that kind of film. Exactly. And I, I loved uh, Dan Stevens, obviously, and, and <laughs> Michael Monroe. I just... Yeah. I don't know. I just think she's got a real presence. Like, in It Follows, um, mm. I loved her performance then. Yeah. I think she's, she's really good in this one. I haven't seen her in... Has she been in anything else? Yeah, I'm sure she has. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, Not that I know. Not that I know. It's like, shut up, we're professionals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What were we going to... We were talking about something before. Well, we were talking about the soundtrack. We were talking about Drive. Oh, yeah. And how that. much of an impact the soundtrack has on that film. Mm-hmm. And what made me... I love the soundtrack before. I listened to it a lot. But what made me realise it is where in Zane Lowe... Was like, oh yeah, I love the soundtrack. I think I'm gonna try and try rescore and, it, rescore it, and see how it changes the film. And um, you know, I was quite interested by this. I think Zeno is like an interesting guy. Mm. Um, clearly, knows a fair bit about music. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I saw the rescored version. I was like, okay, well, clearly a main part of why I love this film is because of the music, because it's completely different now. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's. It's quite it's quite incomparable, and I was. Really what kind quiet. of music did he replace it with then? Quite poppy, I think. Yeah, it was um, the uh, Bastille, one of their songs. Not, what? Not a well-known one. It's a really good song, but um, it's. Uh, it just seemed out of place. I don't know if. It, well, exactly. I don't, okay. Okay. So, yeah, uh, drive. It's like. Uh, yeah, like yeah. instead of Kavinsky, you know that one. Yeah, uh, yeah, Nightcall. Nightcall. Yeah. They have this Bastille one, which is. Jesus. It's. Yeah, it doesn't have the same effect. I think it, I mean. So, what does it make the film more like cheery, more light? I mean, what does it? What yeah, does it, it, do it is. It? it is literally less. Uh, just lighter, I think. I don't think. I don't know why anyone would look at Drive and want to do anything different about it. I think it's yeah. near perfect in what it wants to be doing. Yeah, and every scene in that film, oh, it's shot so well. Beautifully shot. And that jacket that Ryan Gosling wears. I've actually bought a jacket quite similar to that recently. Has it got a giant scorpion on the back? It hasn't got a scorpion. But the best part of my weekend last weekend was when my mate arrived and he saw the jacket and he said, Oh, that's like Ryan Gosling out of drive. You're like, like, Yes! Get in! (laughs) You're the first person to say that, but that is what I was going for when I bought it two months ago. (laughs) So that was a result. It's like, and you've just been showing it to strangers on the street. Yeah, yeah. who who am I? Exactly. (laughs) First thing pops into your head. (laughs) Yeah, so no, yeah, so I was was really delighted by that. Exactly. And, um, yeah, and so about for the guest, um, yeah, it's it's got this weird synth retro uh, yeah, soundtrack synth, to it. Yeah. So like Drive. So, yeah, c- kind of. I mean, I'm not, I'm not by any means an expert in that mm. realm. But but, but mm. Drive soundtrack is very kind of synth '80s retro type feel to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, I, I can see that. I can see the similarity that you're talking about. I hadn't really thought about the soundtrack much, to be honest. But yeah, and uh, the sound effects as well. I think I just love them when it's uh, when it's clearly gearing up for a scene. And it's just that that big haunting music. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Like the so, it's just a film full of signposts. It's like <laughs> exactly. It's like now, viewers, something really shit's gonna happen. Yeah. <laughs> like here's some music to exemplify. You know, here's a signpost, and then Dan Stevens looking. You know, 
as I, as we've already said, just, just looking brooding menacingly at <laughs> the camera. I mean, there must just have out been the window. Uh, yeah, uh, there must have been about fifteen shots of him just staring into space, staring at a squirrel, yeah, or a tree, yeah. just just you. just with this sort of soundtrack playing behind. And I just I just thought it was absolutely hilarious. Exactly, it's and a comedy. I think I think it's also it is yeah, but I think it's also he's he's really charming um, before like shit hits the fan. But he's quite plastic. Yeah, yeah, that, that's um. It's it's like it's like a switch. So like you mm. can see the psychopath in him. Yeah. So he'll just flip, and he'll mm. be the most charming f- guy in the world. He's cracking jokes, and then the next thing, he's staring into space, looking like he's crushing a baby bird in his hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hate um, nature. <laughs> that, that's interesting. It's actually something I forgot to mention in the high rise review. In that some, I noticed at the very beginning of the film. I thought they might try and harp back to it is a guy's walking out of the building and he's reading a book called Everyday Psychopathy. Oh, okay. Um, which is clearly like a signpost for the film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, Everyday Psychopathy, maybe that's part of the guest as well. I don't know. I haven't seen the film. I'm just trying no, to... Oh, but you're going to go back and watch it tonight. Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested. I want to see it now. That sounds like really good fun. It's, 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 it's fun fun with a capital F. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. What's F-U. that mean? <laughs> well, it just means that's it. It's fun, but that's yeah. it. Surface. Yeah, very surface. All surface. But a film that knows its surface. Yeah. yeah. It's not cynical. It, yeah. it knows exactly what it is. I can appreciate someone that knows what it is. There we go. Well, thanks for bringing that on, Carl. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much, guys. It's uh, great to be here. Um, Episode three. Yeah. Very exciting. Very exciting. Yeah, we, you know, obviously you'll, you know, we'll put it on Facebook and, you know, people will see a chance for the world to meet Carl Ross. Exactly. Uh, Thank God it's, it's, it's audio. It's radio. (laughs) It's, uh... Carl's got a face for the radio. Face for the radio. Hey, 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 hey. No, we all have. No, we Actually, we've got a picture but that we're going to be putting up. Yeah, exactly. So you'll see Carl's face. Well, I can share one and all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right, we're digressing. Okay, guys, um, thanks very much for listening. And we'll see you in two weeks. As you know, in a fortnight, we'll be back with new, more new releases and, and, new, gems. and a, possibly another guest. Yeah. If we can find someone to make the, make the trip. But oh. uh, it's for now, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from Carl. Thanks, guys.